before God created the heavens and the earth, his presence hovered over deep chaos. And when it was time to shape something new, out of a heart bursting with love, the presence of the Lord spoke life and meaning and existence into the void. When God made human beings, his presence breathed life into his image bearers, male and female, and he placed them in a garden, a home, where he could dwell with them. And after the man and the woman listened to another presence, the words of a foreign voice, They've separated themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the one who had created him for himself. And we have been a separated people ever since. Striving to do our best in the ways of our own understanding and knowledge. Toiling under anxieties and cares that we were never meant to carry. But the presence of the Lord would not stop seeking his people he promised descendants to Abram like the number of the stars under a clear night sky. He proclaimed his name to Moses, reintroducing himself to humanity as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And finally, he became present to us as a little child with a face just like our own. He came to us so that he might grow up and comfort those who would never have children and speak to those who would never lead nations and enter the homes of those who only had a meal to give him and perhaps a sparse one at that. He came to reveal his presence to those who didn't think they were special enough to ever be the ones who would see God face to face. People like us, normal everyday people, who struggle under burdensome tasks, who are frustrated with our families, and who are anxious about our futures. In the story of Martha and Mary, the presence who hovered over primordial waters and spoke to Moses out of the burning bush enters into the living space of two normal Middle Eastern women. Martha welcomes Jesus into her home, but little does she know that she's also welcoming him into her distraction into her hurriedness, and into the burdens of duty that her culture places on her and that she also places on herself. And yet our Lord is pleased to move over our caverns of chaos, and he delights to reveal his presence to the weary and heavy laden among us. At the beginning of this story, Martha is the consummate hostess. Earlier in Luke, when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to begin their ministry, he instructs them to find a place of hospitality when they enter in each town. They're to find a person of peace who will welcome them. Once they've found that person, they're to stay in their home for the duration of their stay in that town and bless that person as they have blessed them. Martha is the person of peace. She is the source of hospitality in this story. It is Martha who is welcoming Jesus and his disciples into her home. It's Martha who's serving them. But in all of her busyness, attending to Jesus' needs, she misses the gift of attending to his presence. And that is the very gift that Jesus had traveled all that way to give to her. And it's the very gift that he's traveled all this way to give to us today. Well, we all know the story, 
And we know that when Jesus enters into this home, some family drama goes down. Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to him, while Martha continues working diligently in her prescribed role as hostess. And as Martha experiences that gut-wrenching feeling of feeling like you're being pulled in all directions at once, she hits her limit and life gets real. She storms up to Jesus with a storm brewing inside of her, and she unleashes her frustrations with, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? My sister is sitting here doing nothing, and I am left all alone to do all of the hard work by myself. Tell her to help me. In this emotional outburst, we as the church often see Martha's failure, her failure to attend to Jesus' presence, her failure to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary, her failure to extend Mary the grace to follow her own path. But Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha in this moment. Instead, his tone can be heard as compassionate. He takes her outburst as an opportunity to invite her into a better way, a way of attending to his presence in the midst of the chaos. Jesus responds to Martha's concerns by first calling her name, and not just once, but twice. Martha, Martha, like a parent trying to calm a troubled child. He doesn't dismiss her service or her many tasks as unimportant, but instead, like the normal Jesus, he cuts to the heart of the matter. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The word anxious can, be, can mean to be burdened with many cares, and it's been used in other places in the New Testament to mean entanglements of life in the world. How many of us at different points in our, our, of our lives have felt entangled in the many goings-on of life in the world? The word burdened or troubled can be associated with making an uproar, like when a crowd um, gathers together and all of their voices are speaking at the same time, it just becomes this uproar of sound. Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you are entangled in so many cares. They're speaking to you all at the same time, and they're stirring you up in this uproar of emotions that you just can't contain. I have some personal experience with this kind of uproar of cares and anxieties, and perhaps some of you do as well. Even those of us called into ministry can sometimes find ourselves distractedly serving Jesus' body while feeling painfully disconnected from his presence. But the good news is that Jesus speaks to us in our places of chaos, just as kindly and gently as he does to Martha in this passage. He calls us by our names. He recognizes our anxieties and the many tasks that can weigh us down. He doesn't delegitimize them. But he also doesn't fail to remind us of the one thing that is truly necessary the good portion that changes everything and that can never be taken away from us once we choose it. The Lord himself is our good portion. He is the one thing necessary. His presence is our inheritance. And he invites us to know ourselves as his disciples before we know ourselves as anything else. 
Well, I'm currently walking through a, a time of uproar, a time where many cares are speaking to me at the same time, sometimes softly and sometimes with incredibly loud voices. We live in a beautiful and yet transitional and liminal space here at seminary. And as I'm coming to the end of my time of study here, I just walked in May, and as many of you know, I'm taking a few classes this summer and will graduate in August. And during this time of discernment, I've identified with Martha. I've identified with her loneliness and with her sense of separation and with her question to the Lord, Lord, don't you care? But as I've come to Jesus in the midst of my current uproar, time and time again, he has ministered to me through this story of Martha and Mary. Through this story, he's reminded me that he is still pleased to sit in my room with me as I deal with my moments of uproar. He's reminded me that my uproar is not a failure, but is an opportunity for me to choose in the midst of chaos to sit at his feet, to listen to his words, and to attend to his presence as the one thing truly necessary for my life as his disciple. A classic rabbinic disciple was described in Jesus' time as one who sits at the feet of the rabbi. It's pretty simple, isn't it? A disciple is one who sits at the rabbi's feet. When Mary is portrayed as sitting at Jesus' feet, Luke is proclaiming that a woman has taken the posture of a legitimate disciple of Christ. Luke is showing that Mary in this posture of disciple was revolutionary in Luke's time. But it's still revolutionary in our time. And not just because of Mary's gender, but because each one of us, male and female, are personally invited by Jesus to be his disciple. To be an apprentice to the great presence through whom this whole universe was made. This is a revolutionary invitation, and no one is exempt from the offer. We, an anxious and distracted people, are invited, just as we are, to sit at the feet of the Almighty, to listen to his words of power and life, and to take our rightful places as the ones who attend to his glorious presence. This passage, unfortunately, doesn't list out how to re-engage re the many tasks of life once we are beginning this process of attending to the one thing necessary. But Jesus isn't one to give a step-by-step -step guide through life, is he? Sometimes we wish he would. Sometimes I wish he would. But instead, he simply reveals the first step of discipleship. He invites us to sit at the feet of our rabbi and to listen. Maybe this is a better way after all. As we sit and listen, we will learn from our teacher how to attend to his presence while we're serving, wherever we're called. We'll learn how to follow his presence in the midst of the duties which often demand our attention. And as we observe his faithfulness, we'll learn how to trust our anxieties to him, even when circumstances threaten to overwhelm us. Jesus describes this process of listening and learning in Matthew's gospel through the message translation. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you.
keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The presence of the Lord is our inheritance, and he is with us today, ready to meet us here at his table of grace. He is more than willing to move over our waters of chaos, to sit in our homes with us as we deal with our moments of uproar, and to call us to himself for comfort in the midst of our distractions. So as you come to the table today, receive the gift of attending to his presence. Allow yourself to set down any anxieties or burdensome tasks you might be carrying. Allow yourself to rest at the feet of your rabbi. Listen to the words he's speaking to you and receive his unforced rhythms of grace. He is calling your name. 